Hello, my name is J.R. Wallace. I write books for children and young adults, and I'm delighted to have you listening into this podcast. So, welcome to the fourth podcast in my short series aimed at helping everyone in your family learn a little bit more about creative writing and storytelling together. There are six podcasts to listen to in any order. Don't forget to check my Facebook page at J.R. Wallace Author to find out more about weekly competitions I'm running for this podcast series in 2018 from July 23rd through until September the 3rd. The prize in each competition will give a family, that's kids and their parents, the chance to win something creatively inspiring. To enter each competition, all you'll need to do is answer one simple question posted on my Facebook page about one of the podcasts. So that means you'll need to listen to the whole of the relevant podcast to be in with a chance. Don't worry, the podcasts aren't long, about 10 to 15 minutes or so, but they're packed with information, so do listen carefully. If you're listening to this podcast after the series of competitions has finished, then keep checking my Facebook page anyway for other competitions that I'll be running. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about a few things that are important to think about in your writing, which can help improve your storytelling. If you've listened to some of the other podcasts in this series, then you'll have heard me mention a few reasons about why I think I ended up becoming a writer. I'm going to flag up another one here. I love words. They've always helped me express how I'm feeling, and they've always allowed me to describe the pictures in my head to other people to let them know what I'm thinking. So words are fantastic for telling people how you feel and for expressing yourself, whether they're being spoken or written down for other people to read. We're really lucky with the English language, that we have so many different ways of naming and describing not only objects but physical and emotional sensations as well. One of the reasons for this is that various other languages like Latin and French have fed into what has become the English language over time, expanding our vocabulary, making it larger and larger. For example, if you wanted to describe a cake as very good, there are lots of alternative words and phrases we can use instead to get across what we want to say. And why use the word cake when you could use gatto, or tort, or even savarin? Another reason for the expansion of the English language is that it's very good at evolving, adjusting to the world as it evolves too, coming up with new words like frankenfood, crunk, and guyliner. If you don't know what these mean, then just look them up. Young people, like those of you listening to this podcast, are responsible for expanding the English language too. You see the world differently to the way your parents do. So as you and your friends talk, you develop different ways of speaking and of communicating. So you're vital for helping the English language to grow and change. But what does this all mean for storytelling? Well, if our language is full of variety and contrast, It means you have a lot of choice about the words you use in both speaking and in writing. Choosing words is really important for writing a good story. Why? Well, I'm going to tell you something that a lot of people forget about stories when they're writing them. Although it's the storyteller who creates it, any story needs a reader or listener to make it come alive. And that's because stories are places where the storyteller and the reader meet Although the writer is the one who puts down the words, it's the reader who uses their imagination to give them meaning, who makes those words come to life. 
In a way, when a storyteller is writing a story, it's a bit like writing down a magic spell the reader can then use to make something happen. Words themselves really are like magic. I can prove it. If I say the word witch, what happens? What do you see in your imagination? How about if I say the words pumpkin or lake? So you see how powerful words can be. Now, anyone writing a story needs to choose their words carefully. They need to pick just the right ones to make sure the person reading their story can work with what they are reading and use their imagination. For this to work well, a storyteller must remember two important things. First, they must not overwrite. They mustn't use more words than they need, especially when they're trying to describe something. It's a strange thing, but using too many words stops the magic happening. For example, if you give the reader too much detail about a chocolate cake, then their imagination is overwhelmed and they're not being asked to work and participate in the story. So use your words sparingly when you're writing. And this leads me on to the second thing that you need to do. The words you do use need to be just the right ones. And by that, I mean that they need to have enough power to conjure up in the reader's imagination exactly what you want them to see. This goes for describing how characters look, what they're doing, what's around them, and so on. In fact, with anything you describe, you want to pick the most appropriate details to give to the reader to allow them to make a picture in their head of what you're describing. Here's an example from one of my books, The Black Amulet, introducing a vampire. The vampire was still there, under the street lamp, staring into the shop window. The white wooden sign hanging above the door had Hewitt's butcher's shop painted on it in crisp black letters. Ruby guessed that the smell of old blood must have drawn the creature there. The vampire looked pale and gaunt in the gloomy orange light. A dark tangle of hair rested on the narrow shoulders of its black suit jacket. Ruby could see the glint of long, sharp fingernails. Despite being old, perhaps even centuries, there was an obvious strength in its lean frame, like the unseen energy trapped in a coiled spring. It was a powerful creature. Now, if you're not sure whether you're using the right words when you're writing a story, or if you think you've used too many, then an easy way to know is to read them out loud. You'll hear something odd in the music of the words if they're not quite right, or you might not see clearly what's being described in your imagination. People always talk about the power of reading for helping to write stories, and I'll come back to the importance of that in the fifth podcast in this series. But for now, Remember that it's not just true for reading other people's stories, it's also true for reading your own work too. If you find it hard to choose the right words to describe something, then one thing you can do to help is to practice noticing things around you whenever you can. Your five senses, sight, touch, taste, sound and smell, are tools for enabling you to process the world. If you can use these senses as much as you can, and really start to experience the world in high definition, then it should become easier to find the right words to describe things in any story you write. Now you've probably heard the phrase, show don't tell, whenever anyone's talked about writing. Well, in fact, you have to do both showing and telling in a story, because they both have their uses. 
but the trick is in knowing how to balance the two. So what's the difference between showing and telling, and how do you balance them? Well, showing means describing things, whether it's the world of the story or the experiences of the characters, in such a vivid way that it comes to life and makes the reader believe it's real. And as I've already mentioned, that's best done by a storyteller when they're choosing and using words and phrases that allow someone reading their story to use their imagination. For example, a snowball thumps into your chest, or the sun turns the insides of your eyelids orange when you close your eyes, or a bramble snags your jumper as you climb through a hedge. A lot of the time, people learning to write stories end up doing a lot more telling than showing, because it can be hard to find words that really conjure up what seems real to the reader, which is why show don't tell is often used in classrooms up and down the country to remind school kids to try harder at finding those words. So showing not only inspires a reader to use their imagination, but also draws them close enough into the story to experience what's going on. On the other hand, telling a reader something isn't such an intense experience. Telling does exactly what it means. It's just telling the reader things they need to know in the story. For example, they might need to know what year a certain part of the story takes place, or they might need to know where the story is taking place. So telling is a way of getting information across to the reader that they need to know about the story to allow it to make sense. You might summarise something or recap something that has happened that the reader needs to know. Telling is really important for including information to help push your story on. There are various ways to improve your showing and telling, but I don't have time to go into them in this podcast. But what I want you to take away from listening to this one is that not only does a good storyteller use both, a lot of the time in stories, showing and telling will be used in combination. A good storyteller will mix them up. For example, here's an extract from my book, The Boy With One Name. As I read it, see if you can spot where I'm showing and where I'm telling. Jones had observed Arkell for just a few days. It had been quite easy. Jones had gone into Arkell's corner shop and bought sweets from time to time. He dilly-dallied in the street outside, juggling a football between his feet or kicked it against a wall, counting out the seconds, the minutes, and then the hours. In fact, Jones had done so well at pretending to be an ordinary, lonely boy that Arkell had started taking pity on him, inviting him in to pass the time between customers, offering him free sweets from the big plastic pots that lined the shelves and were frosted white on the inside with sugar. Sometimes, Arkell had asked about Jones's family, and he'd enjoyed pretending to have one, inventing a younger sister called Jane with a giggly laugh, and a mother with dark shoulder-length hair who used lavender soap. His father wore his shirt sleeves, rolled up to his elbows, and only ever drank strong brown tea from his blue-striped mug. But all the time they were talking, Jones would be taking mental notes of anything that struck him as odd about Arkell, and quickly began to notice the tell-tale signs Maitland had taught him to recognise. A bulbous tongue, and excess spittle, foul breath, hair that grew a little too thick around each low-set ear. But it was mostly Arkell's eyes and the sadness he saw in them that gave the man away. Jones knew the loneliness that came with being different to other people too. Maitland listened carefully to everything Jones reported back, 
deciding it was worth following Arkle one night, when the moon was bright and almost full, to confirm their suspicions. And now, here they were. So, in this passage, sometimes I'm telling you things, like how long Jones had observed Arkle for, that Arkle asked about Jones's family, and that Jones reported back to Maitland. But I'm showing things too, by focusing in on details like the pots of sweets frosted with sugar, and Jones pretending to have a dad who rolled his shirt sleeves up to his elbows, or that Arkle had hair that grew a little thick around each low-set ear. The telling parts move the story along, whilst the showing parts allow the reader to slow down and immerse themselves in the story. Showing and telling for a writer is a bit like imagining them using a film camera instead of a pen or a keyboard. It lets them zoom in for a close-up when showing things in the story, and it lets them pull back when it's necessary to tell something important about the story. If you can think of your writing, at a very basic level, as something that's flexible, that allows you to push in and pull out of the story, then it will serve you very well when you come to discover more about how really good creative writing works. Now, you might have listened to my podcast about character, where I talked about how important empathy is, the idea that readers should be able to connect with characters by understanding how they feel inside. I wanted to explain a bit more about how to do that, because it's an important skill for any storyteller, and it links into showing and telling. For example, how might you describe what a character is feeling if they're very upset? Unfortunately, it's not enough to write something like, Fred felt really upset because he'd fallen over and hurt his knee. All that's doing is telling us how they are feeling. It's not even enough to say, Fred was crying and bawling because he'd fallen over and hurt his knee. It's still just telling us about Fred and not letting us connect with how he's feeling. You need to show how upset Fred is feeling on the inside and how painful his knee is and make the reader feel it too by reminding them how it feels when they hurt their knee. To do that, what you need to do is to remember it first for yourself so you can show it to the reader and make them feel it too. For example, what's the sensation you have when you bash your knee or your elbow or your head? What's the pain like? Do sounds and smells become magnified? What does your heart feel like in your chest? How difficult is it to cry and breathe at the same time if it's really painful? How does the world look through teary eyes? Do you ever feel ridiculous for bashing yourself? Other ways to show the emotions a character in your story might be feeling are number one, simply by having them explain to another character how they're feeling. If there's nobody to talk to, then how about what they're thinking instead? Number two, perhaps a character doesn't tell someone else they're angry, but they communicate it another way by doing something like slamming a door or crossing their arms. Remember, a lot of the time we communicate with each other without using words. Number three, contrast talking and action together. A character might say they're not angry, but slam a door or glare at someone. They might even shout that they are not angry. And would you believe what they're saying rather than how they're saying it or what they're doing? Sometimes, contrasting what a character is saying and what they are doing can be a very effective way for you to show the reader how your character is really feeling inside. 
So I've talked a little in this podcast about how to write effectively. And after you've finished listening, I'd like you to try a few different things when you've got time. Number one, get everyone in your family together and ask them to write down all the different alternatives they can think of for the phrase, very good. Give yourselves about five minutes to write down as many different alternative ways as you can. Count them up and see who's got the most. Number two, whenever it's convenient and the right time, I want you to stop in a safe place on your own for five minutes and listen and look at the world around you very carefully. I want all the various members of your family to do exactly the same when they can too. As you're standing there, make a note of everything you can see and hear and smell and touch and even taste. Try and pick out all the details your senses lock onto. For example, what shade of white is the wall if you're near one? If you can hear a dog barking, then what sort of bark is it? Does it rumble around the houses, or is it so high-pitched it stabs at your ears? If there's a cupboard, then open it and look inside. How does the dark smell, and what does it look like? If you're standing outside, what noises can you hear, and what smells can you detect in the air? With all the notes you make, I want you to write a short piece describing where you were standing, but with one rule. You mustn't actually tell the reader where or what the place is. I just want you to show it. Everyone in your family should do the same. When you've written your pieces, read them out to each other and see if you can all guess the different places you're describing. Now the third and final thing I want you to try is, I want you to write a story as long or as short as you want using the following idea. Imagine you've snuck into an old house during the day because someone has dared you because it's supposed to be scary. But it's not scary at all. But on your way home, you realise that you've dropped something important in that house. It could be your phone, or your wallet, or your bus pass, or the front door key. You can choose whatever you want it to be, as long as it's important enough that you've got to go back to that old house. Except now the sun has set. It's getting dark. And now the house is much more frightening. In fact, you can believe that it might actually be haunted by something. Write the story using whatever point of view you want, first person or third person. And if you're unsure about these, listen to my third podcast in this series, which talks about using first or third person point of view. It's up to you to decide what happens in your story. But do you find what you're looking for? And do you make it home? Try and make that house as scary as you can. Okay, thanks for listening. My name is J.R. Wallace, and until next time on this podcast series, have fun writing and imagining. And remember to check out my Facebook page at J.R. Wallace Author to find out more about the competitions running alongside this podcast series throughout the summer of 2018, where you can win a prize for the whole family.